During Dell TechFest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Plus, build your dream setup with great deals on select gaming monitors, mice, and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at Alienware.com deals, you'll have access to leading-edge gaming technology to conquer the competition and free shipping on everything. Amazing prices await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com deals. That's Alienware.com deals. Yo, what's up? Welcome to Kind of Funny Games Daily for Friday, March 1st, 2024. I'm one of your hosts, Blessing, Addy O.E. Jr. I'm joined by the busiest lady in the business, Angel Renee. What's Woo! good, Blessing? What's good? Nice to have you here. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. Literally just like zoomed in from the airport right before we were about to go live. Um, just had weird travel things happen yeah. the last couple of times I've come up here to San Francisco. And I was going to ask you, how many times did it take? With the fog machine for you to like not like flinch at all. That's a good, I, I feel like maybe like six months. Because I'm still not used to it. I've only been up here like a handful of times since you guys you know, have opened. It's gotten to the point where it is second nature where I just like, I, I, I just roll with it. Like I'm now used to it where whenever we do have a guest come in, it's always fun to see them like jump or jolt. And I'm like, oh, what's, and I'm like, oh yeah, okay. I guess the smoke is kind of free. It's freaky when you don't expect yeah. it when it comes out of and, nowhere. And you, you're like, eh, I see this. I see yeah, it every day. This is my new normal. Just having smoke machines around. Love it. Yeah. How you been? What, you, what games have you been playing? Oh, I mean, good. I've been playing Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. Very exciting game. How many I'm, hours I'm in? glad. Um, I'm not as many as I'd like because I got the code and then had to immediately go to DICE. Um, I'm like 25 hours in. Okay. So like a good Pretty amount good of time chunk. considering I have a two-year-old at home. It's not bad. Not bad. Yep. Thoughts so far? Um, loving it. It's great. And we did a separate standalone interview on what's good because, of course, we had to get deep dive thoughts from Brit on it. And I, the thing I told her that I really noticed right away with Rebirth is that it just definitely feels more of that wacky Final Fantasy than Remake did. I was like, you hooked me with Remake and now you're getting me to stick around for all the Final Fantasy weirdness. Yeah, it, it was fun playing that game after playing Final Fantasy 16 last year because I don't know if you played all the way through 16. but like, Oh, I did not, know. It is such a grounded, gritty, dark, serious, like we're going to go for Game of Thrones style game. And I play that and I'm like, yo, man, this is Final Fantasy got dark, right? And you play Final Fantasy VII Rebirth and it's the goofiest Final Fantasy game I've ever played. And to your point, like, I'm going around, I'm playing cards with people, I'm riding chocobos and like goofy chocobo music is playing. Playing piano. Yeah, I'm playing piano. I'm collecting different like, you know, themes to play on the piano. I feel like moment to moment that game gets so goofy, but then you get to the main story stuff and it's melodramatic. And yeah. it's so wild to think about how that is the same franchise as Final Fantasy 16. And then you ask yourself the question of what is Final Fantasy? And it is like a thing of just go with it, I guess. <laughs> it's yeah. the spells at this point. It's just Final Fantasy. I think it's good that they're taking a little bit of a playbook from Yakuza and Like, like a Dragon. Brittany and I <clears throat> talked about those parallels with how many mini games are in Rebirth and how obviously the Yakuza franchise and now Like a Dragon are known for their plethora of mini games. Mm -hmm. Obviously not on the same scale as that franchise, but... I think it's a really fun way to get people into the game and, of course, you know, give them more stuff to do. Yeah. Yeah, it's the thing for me, too, where Final Fantasy VII Rebirth is some of the first experiences I'm having with this story, right? Like, I started off with Remake, and then after I played Remake, I played the first 15 hours of the original Final Fantasy VII, and then I picked up Rebirth. And so, like, a lot of Rebirth I'm playing is stuff that I have experienced in the original, but then I get to a point where I'm like, okay, I'm experiencing new stuff. And it is, like, it's exciting for me to kind of see, like, okay, this is, it's goofy, it's weird, it feels like it's doing like a lot of classic PS1, just weird shit. And I talked to Tim and I'm like, is this what Final Fantasy VII is? And he's like, oh yeah, dude, this is all mini games. I'm like, all right, cool. Like I'm down for that in an RPG. And I also appreciate it because it is, the way I, I, I've been talking about it with people is that like, I feel like <clears throat> Final Fantasy VII Rebirth in the way that it's constructed shouldn't work necessarily. I think like Yakuza is a really good example because Yakuza is another, another game where, you know, you're in like an open city, you're hanging, you're hanging out, you're also doing like hella random mi uh, mini games. Yeah. And for a lot of open world games that I play, that I enjoy, like 
what I look for out of the design of an open world game is like, give me the reason to use the mechanics that you give me, right? If I'm playing Spider-Man, I want everything I'm doing to be like, all right, swing around the city or fight with your combat or do you like, you know, different things. Like that those make drone you... missions where you have to like chase them around, right? Yeah, like make me feel like Spider-Man. In Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, they're like, hey, play cards, like play this Swim real time. some dolphins, why yeah, not? Yeah, like ride on chocobos and do chocobo races. And I'm like, this game is doing everything everything to not make me feel like Cloud, but it is working. Like it is like, it's fun, it's dumb, it's stupid. It reminds me another another comparison that I've, I feel like I might've given to Barrett, but I maybe not, I, I haven't yet. Is like, it reminds me of playing Don Kong 64, which is another game that's just filled to the brim with <clears throat> mini games and I, a bunch I of I forgot bullshit. about that, yeah. Yeah, and Ahead it's like- it's time, some would say. Yeah, no. and it's like, you know, <laughs> some might say it's bloated. Some might say it's like, okay, is this too much DK64? But in the same way, I'm like... No, hey, never. No, it never. It's one of the best ones. Ex thank you, Andrew. Exactly. And, and Rebirth is doing the same thing for me where I'm like, this is, I, I can see this being bloated. I can see this being like, you know, too much in a lot of ways. Like I would say it is, but also it's working for me. Also, I kind of like the fact that it kind of throws a lot of the seriousness out the window and I can just enjoy playing a bunch of mini games and having fun. Yeah, so. and you know what? It's optional. You don't have to play them. There you go. Yeah. You've been playing anything else? Um, I've been playing a little bit of something I can't talk about. Um, and I'm trying to get into Hell Divers 2, but there's just only so many hours in the day, you know? Of course. Of course. Well, Andrea, we're going to talk a little bit about Hell Divers 2 because today's stories include new Last of Us HBO castings, games are pretending to be Hell Divers 2, and more because this is Kind of Funny Games Daily. Each and every weekday, we run you through the nerdy news you need to know about live on YouTube, Twitch, and on podcast services around the globe if you love what we do support us with the kind of funny membership on patreon or youtube to get all of our shows ad free watch us record them live and get a daily exclusive show for a chance to be a part of the show submit your thoughts and opinions as youtube super chats as we go housekeeping for you a new ps i love you xoxo is up titled how does playstation recover you can find that over on youtube.com slash kind of funny games and then a new episode of game showdown is going down after this featuring special guests tim greg and andy you have to tune in to see what that's about. Uh, thank you to our Patreon producers, Carl Jacobs, Kieran Hovasapien, and Delaney Twining. Today we're brought to you by Shady Rays, Avatar, Braving the Elements, and Game Showdown, but we'll tell you about that later. For now, let's begin with what is, and forever will be, the Roper Report. It's time for some news. We have five stories today. A baker's dozen. Starting with our number one. HBO's The Last of Us Season 2 adds four new cast members. This is Adele Anchor's range at IGN. HBO's The Last of Us Season 2 has added four new cast members to play some familiar characters from the second game in Naughty Dog's PlayStation series. Danny Ramirez from The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Ariella Bearer from The Runaways, Tati Gabrielle from Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, and Spencer Lord of Family Law have all joined the series. The actors portray the characters of Manny, Mel, Nora, and Owen, respectively. The recently announced quartet joined returning cast members Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey as Joel and Ellie, alongside newcomers Caitlin Dever, Young Mazino, and Isabella Merced. Schitt's Creek star Catherine O'Hara also recently signed up for an undisclosed role in The Last of Us's highly anticipated second season. Andrea, were you somebody that really that enjoyed The Last of Us HBO show? Absolutely. I thought it was fantastic television making. What are you looking forward to out of season two? Well, seeing how they unfold the narrative in a different way than the way the game did, because we know that they can't, you know, breakneck through everything in part two in season two, you know, like they did in in season one, because otherwise then the show is like, oh, we're done. Yeah. Um, and I, I anticipate that HBO is going to draw this out at least another season or two. At least I hope they do. It, you know, won a yeah. bunch of awards and was really great. I think Craig Mazin like implied in some interviews that they're they can't tell this full story of last was part two in like one season of a show. Yeah, and it seems like Neil Druckmann's super into being a television producer um, and was very good at it. The show was excellent and the showrunners and everybody else who worked on the show did a great job. So um, I'm excited about this. I think it's great. I really loved the first season. Oh yeah. Bear, can you bring up the image of the cast and the, um, the characters that they're being casted as again? So like, I'm familiar with uh, uh, Gabrielle at the bottom and then... Yeah, what has she been in? Uh, I, she, I recognize her. Uncharted, the movie. I haven't seen that one. Oh, uh, she was also. It's I mean, actually pretty good. Have you seen the show You? Because she was also in You. I'm pretty sure. Maybe I've seen her in promotion for You. Maybe that's where I recognize her from. And then the dude on the top was in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yeah, he was like the buddy. Remember? Yeah. Like he was the. I forget like what um, 
American, like, kind of, like, government thing he worked for, but he was, like, kind of just, like, the normal dude who would help them out. Yeah, and then I think Gabrielle was also in Sabrina. I don't know if you've seen Sabrina, the Netflix show. I have. She looks familiar. Yeah. But yeah, like, I mean, I'm as somebody who's like, you know, I look at these, I look at these casts, and I look at these characters. I'm like, cool. You know, like I don't really have much in terms of like, oh man, I really hope to see them bring this out of these characters. Like these are all, this is all of Abby's homies. Yeah. Which I think the, out of those four characters, the one that I think really stands out is like, you got to nail this one is Owen. Well, I f- and see for me, it was Manny. Cause I, oh. I think Manny didn't get enough character development in the game but they made him such a pivotal character in specific parts of the game without trying to like say anything that would be considered spoilery mm-hmm. um i would like to see them develop that relationship and that character more and for us to be able to see more of that in the show because we didn't get to see enough of it in the game and the way that his arc kind of like comes to a head in the game kind of fi- kind of left me feeling like a little like wow that ha- like what happened was so yeah. abrupt like let's figure out like a little bit more of what happened in between. See, that's how I feel about um, Isaac, which we've not gotten any news about yet of like how, who's going to play that role. Oh yes. The character that, that didn't gonna... even need to exist yeah, in the, in the game. Like, <laughs> that's what I really want to know. Cause like Isaac feels like some, somewhere on the cutting room floor, they're just like, ah, oh, yeah, we wanted this character to do more, be bigger, do something, but it just all fell to the wayside. Just so we can like, you know, have him serve this moment where like yeah. big things happen. Well, couldn't they just get Jeffrey Wright to do it? It would be See, really funny be if sick. they didn't though. <laughs> I mean, especially since it's HBO and he has a history of working with them as a network. I mean, like, why wouldn't they just get him to do it? I mean, that's a good point. I, I my mind immediately went to like he's expensive, right? But I guess if you're getting Pedro Pascal, I mean, come Ramsey, on. And it's the last one show. Wait, like, he's not expensive for the it. game, but he would be magically expensive for the show. Listen, he put out that one movie, American American Rider. Every the yeah, name everybody American talked fiction. about that. Everybody movie, talks us. about American Fiction. That <laughs> fucking shot his price up like crazy. But yeah, Jeffrey Wright would be sick. I think Jeffrey Wright would be awesome. And yeah, if if you have like it's one thing to get Jeffrey Wright as like oh like a voice actor role and and play like a side character in game in a game. If you have him like live action in your thing, like you gotta do that character justice. Like you yeah. gotta give that character a lot to do because Jeffrey Wright is super talented. Right. And so like that's the one that I think of in that regard. For like uh yeah, I guess Manny. Like I remember moments of Manny. That's the weird thing about Last of Us Two. Also for me is that I played that game in the span of a week or two, like two weeks, and I never touched that main story again just because it was like. It was so harrowing. Traumatic. Yeah. We <laughs> yeah. played that like early pandemic in what, June? And it was a really rough time in the world. Yeah. At that moment when that game came out too. And so I've not had the chance to go back. And it's that thing where I don't even really have the desire to go back and play yeah. that game. As, at least for right now. I'm sure one day I'm going to go back and play The Last of Us 2. Is this where I have to say the obligatory that I, I worked on a Sony show for The Last of Us 2 Remastered? It's called Game Nights. You can watch oh, it on you YouTube yeah, right Yeah, I now. saw that on, yeah. on social media. I it's did. awesome. It was cool. But yeah, like, I mean, I guess, yeah, Manny is one that I'm like, I remember moments of Manny. I remember him coming through and, being, and me being like, that's a cool dude right there. And that's about it. Like, that's all I got got from Manny. Yeah, hey, I don't want to say anything else because I definitely will accidentally spoil something about his storyline. So yeah. I'll just leave it at that. But then, yeah, like, I feel like Owen is such an important one. And then obviously, like, I guess uh, uh, Nora and Mel, right? Like, Mel has a has a pretty big role, especially for, like, a turn that happens with, with um, Ellie, Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see with all of these characters, like how much of their original storylines they keep in and how much they change. So, Are you somebody that if they go in and change a lot of The Last of Us Part 2, at least like rearrange how things happen or or go in and and, and find it, try to find different ways to tell the same same story. Are you somebody that is open to that kind of thing? Does that? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I understand as a fan of media and particularly as somebody who is a big fan of fantasy literature, which always gets adapted in sometimes really egregious ways for television and film, that that's the creative license that you have to use to serve the format. What I think we can be comforted by is that the first season of this show, I think, did a really great job of staying incredibly true to the storyline as it was told in the game with some minor changes. But the changes they made, I felt, really served the new format of the television series. Mm -hmm. And you have to think about that and how that best serves that audience instead of a video game audience who's going to play it in a very different way and have an experience with that narrative, like completely differently. I don't get mad about it. I get mad about changes that fundamentally alter who characters are, who mm-hmm. their, what their motivations are, 
or if they like live or die when they don't live or die in the in the source material. Mm -hmm. That of course is jarring as fa for fans. Uh, like Game of Thrones, like completely changed huge swaths of storyline in ways that you know we debated about um, on that show, Game of Thrones in the review, which feels like forever ago because it was um, in the old studio. Wait, did we have a Game of Thrones show? Oh yeah. Oh, Game of I, Thrones in review. I, I remember. Did we packets. really? I had packets oh, yeah. of notes for that show. That was before your time. It was like right before your time. Blake. That's yeah. wild. Yeah. Well, like it's, it's, it's wild before, for me because yeah, I used to watch I all moved. the review stuff. But I guess because I didn't watch Game of Thrones, I was just like, okay, I'm not gonna watch this, and I forgot we did that. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. They had I remember huge us like packets. watching a, a few of those final episodes in that old studio, and us just sighing a lot. <laughs> I still have the Google Doc with the giant grid that we did for who lives and who dies oh, in shit. the final season and we because it was like 20 characters that we were all picking who lives and who dies it was wild it was great see Damn, to what so long ago to what you're talking about like i go to the avatar the last airbender live action show that just went up on netflix and yeah some of the things that i've been seeing have been people complaining about them not necessarily understanding the roles and the growths of certain characters right, right. like that's the thing where it's like okay you got to get this right where there were things about like, you know, I, I saw this news making the rounds of like Sokka, them like taking out some of the elements of him, his character, you know, having like this implicit like sexism that he would display and stuff like that. Right. And in the cartoon, that's kind of how he started off. And then he grew out of that. And that was a big part of his character arc. And the interviews that were coming out about the live action show. They were like, oh, yeah, like, you know, we saw that he was sexist. We took that stuff out. And a lot of people were like, well, why would you take that out when that's part of the growth? Right. When that's part yeah. of like, the, 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 the point of that character. That's the kind of stuff where I'm like. All right, like if you miss the point of the show or miss the point of like who this character is to the show, then I think you're sort of failing that source material a little bit. But I'm down to see things remixed, right? I'm down to see things taken and, and, and reinterpreted in a way that is better for TV. Now, to that idea, Last of Us 2, the video game, this is a conversation we've been having on the show a couple of times. That game has a format that, in my opinion, works so well as a video game and works well to depending on who you're talking to, right? Because like- yeah. Mid in that game, you switch off characters, and this is light spoilers for Last of Us Two that everybody. Yeah, I wasn't like. as big of a fan of that format. I yeah. will say. Do you think they keep that for the TV show? I think it would work way better in the television show. Really? Yeah, because you as a player become so invested because you have agency as the character, as the protagonist, right? And we also, as players, came as you played the Last of Us Part One, you came in with a already like a set of emotions built up with how you felt about Ellie in particular as a character. Um, and you, based off of the events at the beginning of that game, I mean, it made you feel one way or another and you don't really get to form a good opinion about who Abby is as a character and, and maybe your relationship with her as a character until probably about halfway through mm -hmm. The Last of Us Part Two and into the back half. And I mean, I just, I, I, had a, I struggled to get over my anger for like the first half of that playthrough. Yeah. So, and See, I don't even know if I'm still over it, to be honest. And that's the thing is like for the a TV show, the thing that I wonder and the thing that I, in terms of the conversations they're having in the writer's room is seeing the reaction that Last of Us 2 had just in the general audience, which was polarizing. A lot of people adore that game. A lot of people love that game. I love that game, right? A lot of people hate Last of Us 2. And a lot of people hate it for wrong reasons. Some people, I think, you know, hate it for valid reasons, right? Like I think all things can be criticized in, like, the, in, in ways that are valid. That is one where I wonder if you are making the show and you are looking at the format of the game and the things that worked and didn't work with people, that switch over to Abby, this character that you are at this point trained to hate and trained to be like, yo, fuck this character. If that is the end of season two, like if we end season two and it is like the end of like that first half of Last of Us 2 and then we're waiting two years and we're sitting and we're marinating all these feelings of Abby for two years and you come back with season three and now... Abby's the main character of the season that I worry about. I think it would actually actually be really interesting storytelling if they reversed what happens in the game and told it chrono fully chronologically mm -hmm. and then let viewers build up a relationship with Ellie and Abby and then have everything that plays out play out. Yeah. Because I think it will dramatically change how people feel about Abby as a character. Okay, we're getting down a little bit of a rabbit hole and I try not to be spoilery because it's hard not to talk spoilers. Th but, but everybody knows what the story, the, la the not Rob story of the last was too. Not like, when it, when it leaked, it was like, it was, it was impossible we, to get away from it. If we spoil it, there will definitely be people in the comments of the show who are upset. That's fair. I mean, we could also pre uh, preface that we're going to go into light spoilers. 
or like medium spoilers depending on you how, on how you want to uh, call it but yeah like i mean to your point i also think like one i'd be fascinated to see if they stick with it if they stick with the format and if that works and how that hits on the on the other hand i think it could be interesting to see them play around with what they can do with it i think it could be fascinating to see them switch off every episode where episode one starts off and it is abby and it is like you getting that that story and it is episode two all right we're back to ellie day one episode three abby day two episode four ellie day two right and kind of have it like that i think that could one do the thing where it is okay you're getting both sides of the story at the same time but also kind of give you that feeling of oh i'm getting an entirely different side of a story here i'm getting like this entirely different experience with a character that i didn't know from season one um either way i think they're i think they're they can do really interesting things with the format in tv in ways that like fit tv better as opposed to video games because i in ways, I think the having it all in one go in a video game makes it easier to digest, even though a lot of people still didn't digest it. The only thing that, that really didn't work for me is like having to start from ground zero in terms of like your upgrading and weapons and gameplay and stuff. That's one where, where I was like, ooh, okay, this yeah, is Yeah, it was annoying. Yeah. yeah. To put it mildly. But yeah, very <laughs> excited to see what they do with season two. Moving on to story number two. Two indie Steam games were disguised as Helldivers 2 to scam players. This is Chris Scolian at VGC. Two indie games on Steam were disguised as Helldivers 2 earlier today to scam players into buying them. News started spreading on social media that two duplicate copies of Helldivers 2 had appeared on Steam, selling at discounted prices of $12.49 and $19.99. According to SteamDB, however, both games were actually existing indie games, with all their metadata changed by the developer to imitate the Arrowhead Game Studio hit. SteamDB's history shows that both games were edited at 11.50 p.m. Eastern Time with their titles, descriptions, screenshots, and even publisher and developer information changed to match those of the real Helldivers 2. In reality, the games were Figurality by Soul Onboard Studio and Do Not Smile by Whitehole Games. Given that both these games were released on November 4th and both were changed today, it seems likely that both developers are the same person. The games were pulled from Steam as this article is being written, uh, meaning they were up in their modified form for around three hours before they were spotted and delisted. Insane. You're bad, and you should feel bad. Wild behavior people are exhibiting out there. Also, the idea that Steam as a platform allows developers to use identical information in their titles and descriptions is mind-boggling to me because Valve absolutely has the tools to prevent that from happening. Why wouldn't that just be in place that you can't one-for-one one copy somebody else's yeah, that's description weird and too, title right? for the game? Like the fact that here Barrett's brought up, is this a video or are you doing this live, Barrett? So I did this live, right? No I way. looked up Do Not, what was it called? Do, Do Not, not smile. smile. Um, Hold on, let me go That is here. insane. So I looked that up on Google. It brought me to Do Not Smile on Steam, and when I click on it, it takes me here. That's insane and the fact that you also have is that does that say playstation studios under publisher publisher wait but look at the PC mostly LLC. positive reviews is that 16 yeah yeah that's a, that, that's the giveaway right like that the there's only 16 reviews but yeah. how is this how is this still live well, well you can't buy this anymore it's, yeah i don't know why the page is still live but it does say hell divers uh tm2 is no longer available on the steam store i i just this this to me is unacceptable yeah, this is like I, this is gonna blow back on Steam a little bit. Like, obviously, this, As is the, it should. this is the fault of the developers who are out here scamming people, right? And like, one, I wonder if you can be like legally like liable for this, right? Where you are impersonating another I mean, game it's and then theft, isn't it? I mean, I, I mean, IP theft. I don't know how that works, right? Like, I guess yeah, IP theft probably would be the the place you would put it. I mean, it's absolute IP theft. It's, it's like a direct copy of. Of, Barrett, do me a favor, because I know you're all you got access to the YouTube backend. Change the name of our channel to Mr. Beast and see what happens. <laughs> I thought you were gonna ask me to bring up the trailer for uh, I feel Dan like in real life. You want to be friends with Mr. Beast? You don't want to be enemies with Mr. Beast. But listen, if I can make a, if I can make two million dollars and I have to sacrifice my friendship with Mr. Beast, you know. Oh, you don't think that his army of legal is gonna come after? Well, Kai like Fani? if if they can avoid PlayStation, if do not smile. Depending on how this goes for do, for the like, people that are publishing, do not smile. Who Whitehole Games and Soul On Board Studio? Depending on how this goes for them, I think this might be a viable strategy. <laughs> like, change the name of this video to "We gave I don't know a hundred people." No blessing. A million no, dollars don't do this, Barrett. Don't listen. I don't know what Mr. B's video. This are. is bad. Oh no, it's too late. I already changed it. Let's oh, go. Oh my goodness. Success. I did see actually in a in a f fucked up note. There was a gaming YouTube channel uh, that was hacked this morning. That like. 
by like some crypto people and like they took down all their videos and they've just been streaming crypto. It's a it's a it's a uh, channel that I'm subscribed to. This game explain. Game explain got oh, taken no, over. Really? Yeah. I Andre's he's on it. Like he like he's been communicating with both Twitter and YouTube because they got both uh, of those platforms. I think they've already fixed the Twitter. But yeah, I woke woke up this morning. I saw a live stream from some crypto company. I'm I'm like I don't. Why, why am I seeing this on my subscriptions page? Go over to Twitter and I see Andre being like, "Yeah, man." <laughs> yeah, this is the channel of Game Explain right now, which is in insane. I just stay that's safe out there, everybody. Sad. That's that's awful. That's awful. The crypto shit is getting out of hand in terms of like the scams and all this shit. Because like that was how the uh, GTA Six trailer got leaked, right? It was like a, a Bitcoin company mm -hmm. or like some kind of crypto company. Um, Did you see the? report that that's last week tonight did john oliver's team did on pig butchering no what was this about i mean i'm not gonna like deep dive into it but they have a whole standalone video on this new well relatively new scam called pig butchering because it takes people for like tens of thousands hundreds of thousands potentially sometimes millions of dollars mm -hmm. and it's all built around a fake investment platform that looks like day trading apps like a like a robin hood or whatever mm -hmm. where they convince people to invest their money in these fake stocks or fake cryptocurrencies and then when they go to withdraw their money after however many months or whatever they that's when they find out it's a scam and they just keep putting money in and it looks like they're making returns and then when they go to withdraw jokes on them stay, it's really awful stay safe everybody that's that, uh, insane out there and also, great reporting though. You guys should check it out. Pig butchering. And also, just be be week. better out there. Yeah. Do, uh, uh, White Hole Games, publisher of Do Not Smile, and Soul On Board Studio, publisher of Figurality, who seemingly are just the same person. Be better. Also, yeah. yeah, like I'm. It is wild that Steam works like a YouTube backend where you can just change like the description and title and all this shit. Like you know, super easy. Which I guess is great for the devs, right? But when you can just change it to hell divers 2 and then yeah trick a handful of people into buying your game for and thinking that hell divers 2 was on sale like obviously you look at the number of reviews and you're like okay 16 reviews and like you look at the page deeply and you might be able to tell but we all know that like most people aren't doing that right like if i'm joe schmo and i play a few video games a year and i log and i hear my friends talking about this new game hell divers 2 that is all the rage i type it in and i see it's on sale for 12 bucks i'm like oh yeah let me jump on that i'm not thinking about like how many reviews are on the page and like all this stuff and so yep. that's real fucked up for them uh, for them to do and yeah i think this is probably gonna lead to steam putting in some guidelines of okay well now we're gonna have to it, like either approve uh title changes or approve this shit or at least put in some things where it is you can't just copy another person's name right like if you yeah. have two games named diablo 3 like the second one has to get approved <laughs> like you got to figure out who actually owns that thing that's sad we know what's not sad. Patreon.com slash kind of funny. Oh, and, and uh, YouTube.com slash kind of funny games. Over there, you can get the kind of funny membership, uh, which allows you to get shows ad free. And speaking of ads, let us tell you about our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Shady Rays, an independent sunglasses brand that has over 300,000 five-star reviews. They are on a mission to match affordability with durability, making top quality shades accessible to everyone. They have tons of styles and colors to pick from, so finding the perfect polarized shades is a breeze. If you want an upgrade, we recommend their premium Color Rush lenses. Crafted with rare earth materials, these lenses bring high impact color to life, elevating reds, blues, and greens. Here at Kinda Funny, we all love wearing our Shady Rays, whether it's me looking dope doing my Pokemon Go walks, Snowbike Mike rocking the snow goggles, or Joey just looking fantastic in her tangle-free shades. If your shades go MIA or take a hit, don't sweat it they've got lost and broken protection so you're covered from day one and if you don't love your shades exchange or return them for free within 30 days exclusively for y'all shady race is giving out their best deal of the season head to shadyrays.com and use code kf20 for 20 dollars off each pair of polarized sunglasses try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 300,000 people again that's shadyrays.com and use code kf20 for 20 dollars off each pair of polarized sunglasses this episode's brought to you by Avatar Braving the Elements. We know you love talking about all things TV, film, and pop culture with us, so there's another podcast that we think you're gonna enjoy. It's called Avatar Braving the Elements, and it's Nickelodeon's official companion podcast to Avatar The Last Airbender. 
Y'all already know Barrett loves Avatar. He thinks it's one of the best coming of age heroes journeys out there that perfectly blends enticing action, great comedy and social commentary that's all backed by great art style and an iconic soundtrack. Each week, host Janet Varney, the voice of Korra, and Dante Bosco, the voice of Zuko, rewatch every episode of The Last Airbender. They're joined by special guests like the cast, super fans, and even the creators of Avatar, Michael DiMartino and Brian Konitzko, for a deep dive and behind the scenes look into the Avatar verse you can't get anywhere else. Whether you're a longtime bender or new to the series, jump into the epic world of Avatar with Avatar Braving the Elements. Listen to Avatar Braving the Elements on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Y'all need to check out Kind of Funny Game Showdown, our weekly video game trivia game show. You can watch live on YouTube or on Twitch every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific time. But now, thanks to popular demand, Kind of Funny Game Showdown is available on podcast services. Whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or anywhere else, please subscribe and rate the show five stars. It really helps us get Kind of Funny out there. And we couldn't thank you enough. We aim to make this a video-only show, so many of the games we best enjoyed watching on YouTube. But despite that, enough of you guys asked for audio versions so we're making that happen anyways of course that also means if you have the kind of funny membership on patreon you will now also get the audio version of the show ad free no matter how you're watching or listening to kind of funny game showdown thank you and if you haven't checked it out yet there is no better time than now we're already many episodes into the show so you can catch up now on youtube or the brand new podcast version of the show if you love what we do please get the kind of funny membership on patreon or on youtube to get the show ad free if you just want to support us for free please subscribe and rate kind of funny game showdown on your favorite podcast service now and we're back with story number three, Rocksteady is focusing on getting Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League ready for season one and the arrival of Joker. This is Wesley Inpool at IGN. Rocksteady won't release a patch for Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League next week in order to focus on getting the game ready for the launch of season one later in March. In a post on the Suicide Squad website, Rocksteady acknowledged player demand for the game's next patch, which is set to fix myriad bugs and make key gameplay improvements, including mutator changes. But the developer said it is now focusing on getting the whole game ready to receive our free Season 1 update this month. Season 1 is set to add Joker as a new playable character, as well as new gear and environments as Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League's live service continues. Indra, are you playing Suicide Squad or did you play Suicide Squad at all? I have it, but I haven't started it yet. So you plan to get to it? Yes. All right. What, what has been your read on it in this first month? It's very all over the place. I think that it, it reminds me a little bit of how Gotham Knights launched in that there was a lot of people who had very fair criticisms of how the game came together but that the audience, for the most part, that are, were playing it really enjoyed their time and had fun. Mm -hmm. But maybe the expectations were, again, mismanaged potentially by marketing teams. I mean, the rollout of this game was, I think, not as smooth as the team wanted it. You know, I think the real issue I had when the game first launched was the server issues that they had in their premium early access period. And we talked on what's good about the reasons it's problematic to charge people a premium to get early access. And then, especially for a live game, and then you're bringing the servers down, but you've already charged people for their time. And now they don't have that time because they have to be online to play. It's like, yeah. feels bad, man. Yeah. Um, so maybe we don't do that. Maybe we just don't charge people for early access in that specific scenario. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, I haven't gotten a chance to play the game myself, so can't give thoughts on actual like gameplay and mechanics and, and things like that. But it seems like overall audience is happy with it, but always wants more. Yeah. You know? I mean, just for the, good, the not great. Yeah. And like to that, right? Like I, I'm so fascinated to see, you know, they're dropping season. They're getting ready to drop season one with Joker. I'm so fascinated to see how many seasons we get of it. Just for like the, yeah, like the reception has been a bit all over the place. Like I do see some people that enjoy it. I do see a lot of people that aren't enjoying it at the same time. But then also I think the numbers just aren't speaking to it, right? Like I saw uh, there was a new story that was floating around today as well that the concurrence have been falling under Gotham Knight concurrence. And it's like, ooh, that's, that's rough, right? For a, for a game that, that is just coming out, also coming out in a busy month when we're talking about Final Fantasy VII Rebirth coming out this week, right? You're talking about Helldivers 2 coming through and making waves. You're talking about Power World coming out right before and making big waves, right? And like, you're in such a competitive space as a game that 
has AAA expectations and you have right. DC license expectations, you know, you're not, you're, you're not able to come through and get those numbers and not be able to like, you know, deliver on what a WB wants from you as a live service thing. You know, we're also talking about a game that is coming a year after Hogwarts Legacy, which had crazy numbers. It was also a single player open world RPG. Numbers. Yeah. Yeah. It had record breaking numbers. Beat Call of Duty last year. Um, as WB, you look at that and you go, let's fucking go. You look at Suicide Squad, which you've probably pitched as a, oh, this is going to be like the moneymaker for us. Even me, I'll be curious to like know, like, were they even putting this above uh, uh, Hogwarts Legacy in terms of what their expectations were for it? And it come out and it just fall to a dud i wonder what that does long term for suicide squad and i hope what i would hope is that that leads to a pivot for rocksteady and has them go all right let's make rocksteady games that we know that 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 they're experts at right like let's make something that is more single player let's make either another batman game or find another dc hero or just allow them to make a single player action thing um i don't think that this was on rocksteady though i mean if we think about how long this game has been in development and the comparisons to hogwarts legacy um were Apparent during the earnings call, when it made it seem like Rocksteady was bearing the brunt for the alleged failure. And I had tweeted out, well, yeah, if you're always going to compare a game to a record-breaking, best-selling game of the year, then literally everything else is technically a failure, mm -hmm. right? Like, then one on top is the one on top. And I think it's a wildly inaccurate metric to try to judge the success of a game off of. I mean, when we look at some of these live service games, I think some of the real challenge for these teams is to go, okay, most, particularly when we're working with a new game format or a new IP. Now, obviously, like Suicide Squad, not a new IP, but this game, new, right? Yeah. This isn't like a, a second installment. So it's like, as a team, how do we balance the focus knowing that this is going to be a live service game and we're going to need to have additional content relatively soon after launch but also making sure we're not splitting too many of our team's resources and then sacrificing features or polish or anything else that leads to the overall development of the main title to make sure that we have the post-launch content ready to go. And I think finding that balance is increasingly difficult for teams when the pressure from the publisher and the people above them in the organizations are saying, we need it all to be successful. Mm -hmm. But then the developer saying, well, if the base game isn't good and we can't build an audience with the base game, then the post-launch content is going to be completely meaningless and a waste of money anyway. Mm -hmm. And I think Immortals really suffered from this as well. Immortals of Avium. Because I remember getting emails when that game was getting ready to launch, being like, we have all these post-launch plans. Stay tuned. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Aren't we putting the cart before the horse here a little bit? Like, let's see mm -hmm. if the game is good first. Turns out that game had some problems and now that game is in a bad place, right? And I foresee Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League probably looking at their deep plans for maybe like year two, year three, because we know that they probably put them together and mm -hmm. say, does this make sense anymore for us to continue to invest this much money in this franchise and instead maybe divert those finances to somewhere else? And it's hard because I would love to be a fly on the wall of Rocksteady and hear the internal debates they as a team had between was this the right path for this game? Mm -hmm. Should we have chosen a different path? What should we have put our focus on instead? What can we still do to turn this around and really bring this back? Because we've seen live service games stumble at launch, but then come back and oh, really sure. build a big community. And I think that they absolutely have the opportunity to do that. I don't think this get, game is dead in the water by any means. Well, I'm so, I'm so curious to know also like what, so this game was supposed to come out last year like earlier last year during yeah the and it's delayed too which obviously didn't help it yeah and it was delayed what were they doing during that delay you know the de delay came after the playstation state of play where they had the big gameplay breakdown and that state of play was not received well you know everybody was like oh this isn't what i want to have a suicide squad game oh man we're just you know jumping around the city and shooting like weak spots like what is this uh and, like you know i think the big reveal of what suicide squad actually is turned people off which you know, you look at that and then immediately after they delay, seemingly because of that. But obviously they're not changing the game. Like obviously during that time, they're not like, all right, throw it all out. We're making the game that everybody actually wants. It's like, no, we're still going to be working on this thing. I would assume you're spending a lot of that time working on post-launch content so you can have the best post-launch uh, uh, like seasonal content that you can put out, right? And to your point of that core thing needs to needs to hit. That core thing needs to like bring people in and then you have a foundation and then you start to build off of that with these content updates. I think... If you're putting, if I'm, if I'm uh, Rocksteady, right, and I put out that state of play and it is, all right, people are not convinced with what the base of this thing is and we can't change it, 
let's rock their socks with the post-launch content that we can give them and let's really work on giving it to them consistently and making sure that they uh, making sure that we have the bangers ready right let's make sure that we have joker ready in month two let's make sure that we have whoever else ready as the months go uh i look at last was online as another example of the report last year from uh, Jason was about how Bungie did the review of The Last of Us Online and how essentially it was a, it was a thing of, oh man, if you guys are going to make this thing work, you have to, uh, to update this thing consistently. And when they canceled that game, one of the things Naughty Dog cited was that to support this thing, we would have to take people away from doing like the regular single player things that we uh, love to do with Naughty Dog, right, that we're known for. It takes a lot of effort and a lot of time and uh, uh, in order to do that like post-launch thing. So having it be a year later after this thing was supposed to launch, having it be, all right, we're launching this late January, early February. All right, season one is about to drop with uh, uh, Joker and we're like not even doing our next weekly update to like focus in on this season. I think, you know, you get this one, you get the next few. And I think in the eyes of Rocksteady, I think they know that they have to hit. I think they know that. I think this is what they've probably been cooking for a while and been working on for a while. And whether they do hit, we'll see. You know, like I'm so fascinated to see if these are going to be things that people love or if just the idea of a Suicide Squad live service game in this form isn't what's going to work for people, no matter how good the updates are. I really hope that that's not the case. And, you know, to be clear, because I thought that there was a little bit of confusion in the chat, um, we don't know what the responsibility split between WB Games, the publisher, and Rocksteady, the developer, is on who decided what this game was going to be. Obviously, Rocksteady has a huge hand in that, right? Like, they are the ones who are making the game. So, of course, if there's any criticisms of the game, the gameplay, how it's come together, Rocksteady bears the brunt of that, as they should, as the creators of the game. But having been in this business for a long time and covered games as long as I have, I've seen plenty of scenarios where you have this influence from the publisher because they are the owners of the studio and they decide the overall strategy for not just that studio, but all of the studios in the portfolio mm -hmm. about what kinds of games we should be making with the IP that we own. And my point was, I'm curious as to how that conversation went, what the breakdown was, how much influence WB Games put on Rocksteady to say, we want Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League to be this kind of game versus Rocksteady saying, we want to make that kind of game and if they push back in any way, who was it that pushed back and what that conversation yeah. was? I just think it would be fascinating to know. That's I, all. Yeah, and to the point, right? Like, I think the easy thing for us to do, and I've done this like a million times, right, is to go, I oh, mean, this publisher is obviously the one at fault here because they are the ones that are maybe making the strategy for all their studios or like forcing these studios to do these things. For, uh, uh, the way I understand the way it works a lot of the time is like a publisher will come to a studio and be like, hey, you can make this single player thing, but... Here's a graph <laughs> that shows how much money you can make if you make a, 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 a live service thing. And so, like, we're just going to put that out there if you want to keep making a single player thing. But, you know, a lot of times, like, the studio, if you're able to make a hit with a live service or a multiplayer game or something that makes a lot of money. That then sets you up for your next project, right? Like, if Suicide Squad for Rocksteady was, and I, I don't know if this is how WB works with Rocksteady, but assuming that maybe it does, right? Like, if Rocksteady is able to hit with Suicide Squad and mm -hmm. make that a huge success that can then set them up to make as many Batman Arkham's as they want, right? Like, they can then go on and make their next thing, maybe a Naughty Dog level thing, right? Like, maybe make that thing sing on that level. Um, again, that's not how it works all the time, but some of the time, I think it really does work like that, as, as far as from what I've heard from people. Yeah. Um, well, and the X Factor, particularly in this case, is, you know, this Discovery Warner behemoth that is now at play, where we've seen this corporation make wild decisions in the name of tax write-offs, like $90 million movie, Cross it out. No one gets to see it ever. And I think all of the creatives that work underneath that massive umbrella now are probably feeling the effects of some of the decisions that are coming from the top level all the way down and going like, how is that going to affect these projects that we're working on now and into the future? And, you know, my whole thing is like, I just, I would be fascinated to know like what, what was at play in this? Yeah. I, again, I think this game still has lots of opportunity to do cool things and succeed. It hasn't failed by any means, right? But I think it could have longer legs depending on how they go forward. Let's move on. Story number four, Sea of Thieves co-developer Radical Forge confirms layoffs. This is from Tom Ivan at VGC. 
Sea of Thieves co-developer Radical Forge has laid off a handful of employees. The Middlesboro, uh, UK-based indie studio said in a message posted on Twitter that it was restructuring to continue operating in the current challenging market. Founded in 2017, Radical Forge has also also has uh, co-development de- co- credits on Gang Beasts, Rust Console Edition, and Zombie Army 4. It released its first original IP, murder mystery narrative puzzle, uh, puzzler, Brightpaw, in 2020. Quote, We have announced some restructuring at Radical Forge to continue operating in the current challenging market, the company said. This will mean that there will be a handful of people whose roles or skill sets are no longer needed on current or upcoming projects, and their contracts will end earlier than anticipated, end quote. Uh, quote, this situation is heartbreaking for all involved, it added. Uh, we are a very close-knit company and proud of the people-focused uh, culture we have created. We'll do everything we can to ease the situation of anyone affected and help them find alternative roles, end quote. Andrea, in, for, on KFGD, we've had like one of these stories for the la- every single day for the last This week six in months. particular was brutal. Yeah, it's been a very brutal week month year when it's come to uh, layoffs in the games industry i'm sure you guys have talked about it on on what's good as well absolutely what's been like the sentiment over there like what is like the conversation that you guys are having around uh, uh these series of layoffs i mean i think the sentiment we echo what everybody else says it fucking sucks <laughs> mm-hmm. it's awful and i think we as people who report on what happens in the industry and seeing you know kind of the effects of what happens because we know lots of developers and we hear from people and I think what really hit home for me was reading some of the posts on LinkedIn, like personal stories from people I know about how it happened, hearing that there are artists at companies like Naughty Dog who were there for like 10 years, 15 years, 18 years, and then just got this really unceremonious goodbye, just really feels bad, you know? It just, it's really heartbreaking the way that these layoffs are being handled. And, you know, each company has handled it a bit differently. Some of them have done better than others. I think Riot Games in particular treated their employees a bit better than most of these other companies have been in the layoffs. Um, But there's, you know, really hard to find justifications for why a lot of these layoffs are happening. I mean, we have the reasons. We know why. I mean, everyone keeps pointing to the overexpansion during the pandemic when, you know, free money was was ripe for the picking. And now the free money isn't free anymore. And these projects didn't all work out and got to scale back to make sure that the company doesn't get too in the red or the profits don't get too lean or whatnot. And it just all like, I think, rings hollow for the millions of people around the world. um, Or I should say... I can speak in the United States here about like the rising cost of everything. And we keep seeing these huge CEO payments. Yeah. Their packages, their stocks and all this and go, huh, feels bad that you think that these people's jobs are, you know, not as important as your, you know, next yacht you have to buy. Yeah. Or whatever. And like we have seen a couple studio heads come forward and say we've taken pay cuts We've reduced packages and it still wasn't enough. We still had to let people go. There's a couple examples of that have happened, but it's just, it's awful. It's bad. And what a shitty time to have to be a job seeker. I I had mentioned this before, but applying for jobs is harder now than ever before because of the way that AI tools are being used in HR. You don't even know if a human being actually is looking at your resume when you get a rejection notice. If you get a rejection notice, a lot of the time you can even do interviews and they never bother to call you back to say you didn't get the job. I think that on top of it is making this whole situation just that much shittier. It's bad. It's just bad. It sucks. I mean, to the point uh, uh, that you made, right? Like the uh, stories that we've seen of people that are that you know, do own companies or our CEOs that take the pay cuts in order to mitigate the amount of people that get laid off. Like at the very least, I feel like that is the least you can do. Right. When I see those stories, I am like, okay, at least they tried. Like at least there's something here that's being done in order to try and help keep people in and at least try to like, you know, take that sword a little, a little bit, because that is on you, right? Like you are the leader of this organization. You are the person that's the head of the company. Of course, we're seeing uh, uh, industry-wide these things happen. And also like, countrywide economy wide right like the tech uh, 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 sphere uh, in particular we're seeing a lot of people get laid off and a lot of this happened i think if you're somebody that is at that decision making level of you are responsible for some of this over expansion you're responsible for some of this you should be responsible for giving up some of that money right and like Absolutely. trying to help people uh, uh, retain their jobs because yeah like to your point the 
the amount of people that uh, like, you know, I think for us, we have plenty of friends that work in the industry, right? And I'm sure for both of us, we have plenty of people that we've seen that we know that have lost their jobs. And when I look and I'm like, like I, I, I usually the way it goes, right, is somebody will have layoffs and then other people will rise up and be like, hey, apply here. Like, hey, apply here. Right? And it, don't, it doesn't always work, but every now and then it's like somebody will find a job off of that. Now it's happening where it is. People get laid off and everybody's like, we also had layoffs. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I don't know where, like, where to tell you to go. And it's very disheartening, right? It's very scary. Like, G GDC is coming up in a couple of weeks. And, you know, I am very fascinated for the conversations that are going to happen there as far as, like, so are we good? <laughs> like, what do, like, what is the move here? What do we do? How do we encourage people to actually want to be involved in the video game space? And, like, how do we encourage also, you know, younger people that are going to school right now for game design or going to school right now for art because they want to get into like being a, an artist in the games industry or music or whatever it is. How do we, one, allow those people to like not get disheartened? Because I think that is very valid and very fair to be disheartened right now, right? How do we keep those people going? And then also like, how do we get those people in? Because we need those people to, to come through and give fresh ideas and carry forward the industry. If we don't do that, we're going to be stuck with an industry that is people that have tenure, people that are here, they've been here forever, they're older, no new, no new ideas, and then it is just an industry full of old people <laughs> that have been here forever. That's not exciting. That's going to lead to like, that's going to lead to a very unexciting industry. Yeah, well, there's a lot to unpack with what you just said, for yeah. sure. I mean, it reminds me a little bit of what Rebecca Valentine was talking about when she was doing kind of some press around IGN's union and everything that they were really striving for and why it was important for them to unionize during a good time so that when a bad time approaches, yeah. then they kind of have collective rights. And, you know, something that she said really rang true of like, hey, when layoffs do come, because being in a union doesn't make you immune to layoffs, but it gives you a lot more protections when that does happen. And I think that's a really big rallying cry now as we're seeing these mass layoffs across the video games industry of, you know, like, is this like a renewed sense of we need to unionize more because um, that's been a rallying cry across video games for a couple of years now. Like unions need to be a thing. We need to talk about why they're a thing and why they're important. And, you know, protections for workers when layoffs happen is a big part of that. Like making sure that they have the appropriate amount of severance, that they get the appropriate amount of notice, mm -hmm. you know, that their health care is taken care of, that, you know, that there's a plan in place, that they get tools and resources. And sometimes companies provide that, you know, voluntarily and then other companies don't. And it's like whenever we get mass layoffs, I think it's a really good mic time to put a microscope on what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong. And unfortunately, right now we're seeing a lot of what we're doing wrong. Yeah. Andrea, we've talked about a lot of very big news today. But if I wanted something smaller, say the tiniest news I needed to know about, where would I go? Why, Blessing, you would go to our last story, the We News Channel, where we cover all the small news items you need to know about. There it is. Story number five, it's time for Wii News. Crash Team Rumble will get its final content update on March 4th. Uh, servers will stay live with a free 500 tier battle pass with 104 new items. All content from seasons one through three and all microtransactions will be turned off. And then Bethesda tweets, on March 6th, we'll be putting out our next Starfield update into Steam beta. This update focuses on quality of life improvements and bug fixes as we get ready to add more features and content to Starfield this year. Uh, Star Citizen developer Cloud Imperium Games confirms staff layoffs. Uh, Terminator Survivors is coming October 24th. And then No Rest for the Wicked launches April 18th on Steam Early Access. Uh, Xbox Series X and PS5 versions come at a later date. And that's it. For Wii News. Sonic Mike was uh, streaming the No Rest for the Wicked um, yeah, presentation. He did, a, he did a live react to the presentation this morning, and it was revealed during that live react that we were one of the channels uh, partnered to be able to actually play that this morning. Whoa. Uh, so I, I don't see the VOD. Maybe they're they're editing some, cleaning the VOD up. Uh, but yeah, this morning, uh, Mike checked that out. So uh, at least on Twitch, it might still be live. So if you want to check that out, Mike was really impressed by it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I was like, I was peeking over seeing like what he was up to on, on, on the stream. And when I yeah. saw gameplay, I was like, this looks really good. He said you, me and Andy are probably going to really do oh. it. Oh. Yeah, okay, that's good to hear. Too many games it's coming in April. God, way too many games. Now it's time. Let's get into your YouTube super chats where you write in. Let us know, not not let us know what we got wrong. I guess let us know what you want us to know. <laughs> write in with your questions, comments, and all that good stuff. Optimus Prime writes in and says, "Love Andrea on KHD. Just finished Stormlight Book Four on audiobook. 
spread the gospel of Stormlight and give me a Brandon Sanderson game. What is Stormlight? Oh, the Stormlight Archives? How much time do you have, Blessing? Oh, man, exactly five <laughs> minutes. <laughs> well, I won't take all those five minutes. Um, it's, a, it's a fantasy literature series from Brandon Sanderson. Um, I first became, came across Brandon Sanderson as he helped finish the Wheel of Time series with Robert Jordan, Wheel of Time. Of course, people maybe first heard about it with the Amazon series, but it's a long-running uh, fantasy series. 15 total books. Oh, it's beautiful. Um, book five, Strong Like Archives, coming this fall, apparently, oh, which snap. is very exciting. Also, Brandon Sanderson is one of the most prolific fantasy writers of all time. He just writes so fast, and it's all so good. There you go. If you're a reader out there, check that out. Uh, DJ Kento writes in and says Jeffrey Wright is doing a or Jeffrey Wright is doing the Arc cartoon TV show. I think he'll do The Last Wish if he wants. Well, there you go. And then uh, Takito writes in and says, uh, "What if The Last Wish show story surpasses the games, like in Game of Thrones, in the long term? Any concerns? Does that scare you, Andrea? Not at all. No. What do you think they do? Well, Neil Druckmann's already publicly." spoke about how he has stories from the collection of narrative that he's built for that world that he would love to tell in other mediums, right? Mm -hmm. We saw the rumors about a potential Bill spinoff show, right? Whether that's actually going to like happen or not, you know, you know, TBD. But I think that that's totally fine. I think it's a great way to take, you know, lore that is maybe more difficult and certainly more expensive to build into a video game and put it into another medium. We're seeing that transmedia has been very popular for, you know, over a decade now. So why not? Yeah. I mean, I, the thing that, I, that I've been asking for, right, is like a um, anthology, Last West type thing, right? Like a, a season of a, well, I don't know what you call it. Like I've been calling it Fear the Last of Us just as like a funny thing, but Last of Us colon stories or something like that. That is every episode is a individual one-off story that's happening in the Last of Us universe. I think That'd be that, cool. Yeah, like I mean, I th the episode of, um, oh, the Bill and Frank. Bill and Frank, like that episode in season one of Last of Us was so good. And I think many people agree that that's the best episode of the season. And that was an episode that featured so little of Joel and Ellie's characters. I think if you have... I think you could have a full season that is stories like that, right? Focus in on stuff that is more heartfelt. Well, I love The Last of Us because, especially The Last of Us 1, because Last of Us 1 is a, is a story about how in this disconnected universe, there are things that can bring us together, right? There are, there are stories about love. It's a story about, like, you know, Joel refining his humanity, refining his, uh, his love in, like, an era that he doesn't have that, an era that he's lost that. I think you can make 10 stories out of that easily, and they can be pretty good. Yeah. So that will be my pitch. And we got one more from DJ Kento. Uh, he says, thousands of Suicide Squad players, myself included, are locked out of the endgame since launch. They've claimed to have a patch to fix it for weeks, but haven't released it. <laughs> Their Discord is rebelling. I've not heard about this. That's not a good place to be. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, maybe that is the thing of, like, they said they're skipping this next patch to, like, focus on the season. Maybe that's a scary thing for some of these people that are like, no, we want the patch. Get us back in the game. But hey. The Suicide Squad story continues. Yes, indeed. We'll see where it ends. Uh, that's it for Super Chats. Let's check out kindoffunny.com slash you're wrong. Rewrite in. Let us know what we got wrong as we got it wrong. Uh, let's see. Let's see here. Oh, this is interesting. This is interesting. I'm getting... I, I'm. Somebody wrote in with something very fascinating. I'm hitting the link because I want to double check because I don't want to just, just say it out loud if it's not true. Don't click random links, bless. Oh, God, it's a virus. Oh, God. wait, somebody's changing the YouTube channel name. <laughs> Why is it Mr. Beast now? No. Um, so, okay, it's a statement, <laughs> Barrett, from Playstack, the Bellatro devs. Oh, shit. They put, they put up one of those long, like, PD, uh, like JPEG statements on their Twitter. Is it, is it a yellow image? It's, thankfully, it's not yellow. Okay. Uh, they say, I got to lean in for this one, uh, to our amazing fans, we are aware that Bellacho has been temporarily removed from sale on a number of digital stores in some countries on console platforms, uh, meaning that some new customers will be unable to buy it. Presently, we can't estimate with com complete confidence which stores they'll be removed from, but our hope is that uh, only a minority of stores will be affected. We are highly confident that the game will remain available on PC stores, including Steam. Anyone who has already purchased the game will still be able to play it. Please rest assured we are working as hard as we can to get the game back on sale as soon as possible. This is not an issue with the stores themselves. However, a reaction to an overnight change to Bellatro's age rating from uh, 3 plus to 18 plus by a ratings board without any advanced warning due to a mistaken belief that the game contains prominent gambling imagery and material that uh, instructs about gambling. 
Uh, Balacho does not allow or encourage gambling, and we fundamentally believe the ratings decision is unfounded. Balacho was developed by someone who is staunchly anti-gambling, and painstaking care has been taken to ensure that the game does not feature gambling mechanics of any kind. We're especially disappointed in the actions of the ratings board as we specifically addressed this topic with them in October and were given a 3-plus rating after it had initially been rated 18-plus. During the specific uh, during that specific appeal, the ratings board assured us we have reviewed uh, your product and determined that the disclosure of gambling themes was unwarranted. The game content has not been changed since the age rating was amended to a 3+. We continue to be floored by the response to Bellacho, including Nintendo Life's latest review, which has scored the game a 10 out of 10, and we are deeply sorry that some fans will not be able to access the game this weekend. Please rest assured the game will be back up on sale, possibly with a temporary 18 plus rating while we resolve this issue. We thank you for your patience and support. We are utterly blown away by your passion and belief in Bellatro. Here's what I have to say. Free Bellatro. <laughs> they don't deserve it. All right. Give them a three plus rating. It's Why okay. would they retroactively go back after it's been out for a little bit and like change that overnight? They That's hate us because so they hate us. You know, yeah. it feels like somebody made a mistake. You know what? No, I. You know what? I believe uh, the person who changed this overnight has just been pissed that they haven't been able to get a winning run. You know, bless. Dude, oh, yeah. No, get good. Dang, get good. Get like maybe. me and Barrett. All right, me and Bear have a combined eight wins. I imagine. How many I've, wins do you I've have? Got Barrett? five at this point. Okay, and I have four. I think three or four. So yeah, we're around there. We're around there. Have you have you played Bellatro at all? No, I had never heard of this game, but now that I'm looking Ooh. at it, I mean, it has over 10,000 reviews on Steam. Overwhelmingly positive. Andrea, when I tell you this game has changed my life, <laughs> it's fucking good. But is it only on Steam? No, it's on everything. Okay. I would recommend it on like a, a handheld device, though. Like, I've really like my phone or, or like a Switch? No, it's not on a phone, like a Switch. So or my Steam Deck. Steam Deck, yeah. I've been playing it on Steam Deck, and it's so nice to just like get home, pick up the Steam Deck, and do a run of Bellatro. So it's a, it's a poker roguelike. Where the roguelike usually, if it's in the description, I usually am like, nope. But like, think of it like, I mean, it is a roguelike by everything it is, but like, think of it just more as like a run based thing. Like, like okay. you're playing solitaire. You know, it's like, think of it as sure. like you're logging on playing around a solitaire. Okay. Where you go in, you are playing poker hands. I don't know how much poker you play. A lot. Yeah. So you're playing, you have like a, your hand of cards. You are playing different poker hands. So if you have like all the same suit of like five cards you play, it's a flush. Or if you play, you know, the same cards in ranked order, it's a. Yes, straight, I do know what poker is. Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. For the people out there that don't know, <laughs> right? Um, so you play those hands and based on what hand you play, you'll get points. And like usually it comes with the amount of chips that you win and then also uh, a multiplier that comes with that. Each of the different hands are worth a different amount of chips and a different, and a different multiplier to accompany it. You're basically. You know, you start off that way. Between every round you play, you visit a store. In the store, you can buy these Joker cards that will give you like these random ass upgrades. And so you might find a Joker card that is every diamond you play that is scored get, gets you like a plus four multiplier. Or like with this Joker, you get plus 15 multiplier for every other Joker you have, right? It's like a lot, a lot of like random roguelite style shit. Okay. So you get those. You can also add like random cards to your hands that that are. Uh, you might have like a three, uh, 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 a three of clubs that is steel. And if that's the case, if you don't play that card, if you keep that card in your hand, then you might get a one point five times multiplier. It's like a lot of uh, it's it's a lot of strategy that you have mm. to build up over a run to get the most points possible. And it starts off as in round one, you're trying to get three hundred chips, and so that might take you a hand or two to do. Right? It's easy. By the time you're in like, they're labeled antis. When you get to anti eight. It is, all right, I got to get 10,000 chips and I got to make sure I'm getting like, you know, 500 chips times like a 300 multiplier. Like you are trying to add up the math in order to get, uh, get through these hands. And it is so fun. Okay. It is. It has changed my life fundamentally. No, it does sound interesting. And I like that the overall mechanics feel really approachable. Yeah. Now is <laughs> now does that inc involve gambling? Like when you're playing poker, like here's the thing, like how do we define gambling? Also, Barrett. Well, I you mean, if, do they, does the game accept money no. for bets? No. Then, I, I imagine no. it's the gambling imagery. I, it's because it's chips. a deck of cards. Yeah. And there's also the chips and stuff, but there, there's no monetization in this there's game. There's zero monetization. I, my argument would be that aren't you gambling in every roguelite you play? Like, well, aren't most video games gambling? Well, it's gambling only if they accept microtransactions yeah. for a, a game of chance. Right. Like, so there's I mean, I would need to look up the exact like verbiage that's that's in the law, because as you can imagine, there's a lot of like very specific laws about gambling in video games. It's been a really big thing um, internationally, which games 
can be um, published where because of different countries' gambling laws. Yeah. Um, but if they don't accept money for games of chance inside this game, which it sounds like they do not, then it's not gambling. Yeah, like there's no microtransactions. Even if you're gam- even if you're technically gambling in the game, if you're just f- gambling for free and the game never takes your real world and that's money, my, that's my thing. And it's not like, technically here they're, considered. They're gambling. talking about gambling imagery. Which is probably just referring to just the, it, the fact that it's poker and you're playing for chips. But mm-hmm. it's not like you can transfer the chips to real money. It's not like you're paying real money to earn chips. It's nothing like that. Yeah. But I think the fact that you're making these like strategic choices that do end up as chance. And it is like chips and poker. They're just connecting it all as like gambling imagery. Which yeah. I would say is fucked up. Like no. Like I don't, I don't think that's right. And so justice for Bellatro everybody. Put up your Bellatro fucking emotes in chat. We're going to fight the good fight. All right. Bless. <laughs> Rise up Barrett. Uh, Andrea, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of KFGD. Yeah, thanks for having me up here. I always love coming up to see you guys. And, um, you know, KFGD's got a soft spot in my heart. Oh, yeah. Is there anything you're working on that you'd like to promote or put people onto? Well, yeah. So um, today is March 1st. So it's the first day of Women's History Month, which is very exciting. Um, And What's Good Games is a women-owned business. And we're one of the only all-women-run video game news podcasts. And we are launching a new membership this month. So if you guys follow the show, you know that Britt and I both had babies a couple of years ago. Um, and because of that, we had to really scale back some of our more premium offerings, our exclusive content, stuff like that. And I'm excited to be bringing some of that back this month. I'm going to be putting out a post over the next um, couple of days uh, detailing all of that. So hopefully if you guys have gone away from the show, um, maybe you can come on back and, and check us out. And uh, we're excited that, you know, Rihanna is making appearances on the show now, coming out of her or getting ready to come out of her maternity leave and looking forward to having lots of cool new guests and, and feature lots of lovely ladies on the show this year. Doing some cool things. Got some big stuff in the works. There you go. YouTube.com slash What's Good Games. Yeah. Of course, this has been kind of funny games daily each and every weekday we run you through the nerdy news you need to know about live on youtube twitch and on podcast services around the globe if you love what we do support us with the kind of funny membership on patreon or youtube to get all of our shows ad free watch us record them live and get a daily exclusive show until next time it's been our pleasure to serve you game daily